On Tuesday, June 6th, 1944, at 6.30 a.m., 77 years ago, 5,000 ships carried 160,000 Allied troops into the largest amphibious invasion in modern history. We know it as D-Day. That word, that letter D just stands for the day. D-Day. As they approached land, messages were being broadcast over the ship intercoms to steal their courage. Continually, they are hearing this barrage of messages. Those that survived that day said they went something like this. Fight to get your troops ashore. Fight to save your ships. And if you've got any strength left, fight to save yourself. Another one was like this. We may die on the sands of France, but we will never turn Over 2,500 Americans died on that day, many of them in the first 15 minutes of battle. Many had to crawl over dead bodies to even get ashore. And when I think of it, I am so eternally grateful for those who have put their lives on the line to fight for our freedom. The greatest generation, indeed. But I don't share it with you because of wanting simply to think of that day but rather to help us understand that when they were going into battle, they had no delusions about what they were about to face. They were hearing it repeated over and over and over again. They were facing an enemy who wanted them dead. And we as Christians also face an enemy who wants us dead. We face a very real enemy who craves our destruction. And if he cannot destroy us, then he will do everything he can to discourage us, to rob from us, or to disillusion us. Think about that when you find yourself disillusioned in your faith. You have an enemy. Maybe your courage needs to be steeled. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian church here And he doesn't just tag this onto the end. It is actually an encompassing summary of all that he's been saying. He is broadcasting his own intercom message to the Christians in Ephesus. And that message rings throughout the ages. And it's being broadcast to us today. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all... To stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit 
with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul makes it abundantly clear that we are in a wrestling match. We're in hand-to-hand combat. Not against flesh and blood. And Stephanie did a great job of helping us see how that can become a distraction when we think we're battling people. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood, but we are wrestling against rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil that are in heavenly places. We are at war with a very real enemy who's defeated, yes, but who's still lurking around trying to exact damage upon the victorious army of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said, Humanity falls into two equal and opposite errors concerning the devil. Either they take him altogether too seriously, or they do not take him seriously enough. Maybe you've known Christians that take Satan all too seriously. You know, give him way too much credit. I bind the devil who stands against my almond milk latte. Yes, I know. I, I speak non-dairy into my lactose intolerance in Jesus' name. Thank you, Marcus. I appreciate that. You know people like this, right? That... They just make everything about the devil. Like he's hiding behind every bush and tree and rock and about to pounce on you at any point. Like they're storming the gates of hell with a water pistol. And they're determining that every little inconvenience has got to be the devil's fault. Right? You know these kind of people. Some of y'all looking at me like, careful. You know, I mean, like every little thing seems to be because the devil. I-85 has bad, bad traffic. It's the devil. Chick-fil-A sandwiches go up in price. The devil's trying to attack my budget so I can't tithe. You know, I can't get this mayonnaise jar open. It must be the devil. We know these kind of people. But we also know a lot of Christians that are not even sure there is a devil. And they don't pay him any attention because they're fooled into believing He doesn't affect their lives. And that's foolish. That's very, very unwise. Satan is real. Peter says that he is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to eat, to devour. He is, yes, defeated, thank Jesus. But he's mad about it. And he wants to take out anyone he can on his road to demise. He is still flailing, and he is still trying to exact as much damage as he can as he goes down. We'd be smart to walk as Jesus instructed his disciples. He said to them in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. Over all the power of the enemy. 
and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I love Jesus. He always makes the better way. He is the way. He makes a way when people go to extremes, even his people. We tend towards one extreme or another, and Jesus is like, neither one is right. It's in the middle. And he acknowledges, Jesus does, these evil spirits. My lands, everywhere he went, they were tormented. And he cast them out every time he was in the situation. And he gave us authority to also deal with them effectively. He said, they won't harm you. You, you have power over the enemy. All the power over the enemy. We have that. But he also says, don't fixate on them. Don't give them more credit than they deserve. Deal with them. But rejoice that your name is written in heaven. We're children of God. That's what our focus is. Not on hunting down demons every chance we get. We got a lot of Christians in camo and acting like Dog the Bounty Hunter, trying to go out and find spiritual war. That's not real smart. But when spiritual war comes at you, you have the power and the authority to deal with it and then to rejoice that your name is written in heaven. We need to remember a few other things about these things of spiritual warfare. One, and this is the most important thing, Jesus has already won the battle. There's one glory. Jesus has already won the battle. Yeah. We are not victims here. We're not on the losing side. I don't care what things look like. Jesus is the victor. And we belong to him. Hey, what we're doing here is just like a mop-up operation. That's all that's going on. We're just cleaning up those little pockets of resistance to what Jesus has already done on the cross. And he rose from the dead, and we are no longer at the mercy of death and the grave of sin. Even if they kill you, you're with Jesus. They can take your life, but they can't take your spirit. Jesus has already won the victory. Got a little Pentecostal there, didn't I? Second, realize that putting on the whole armor of God is about appropriating what Jesus has already done. It's about applying what he has already done for us. Stephanie really loaded a ton into that video there. I mean, and by the way, they kept it under five minutes just like instructed. I'm so proud of you guys. I didn't have to edit it or anything, so thank you for that. But it's about appropriating what Jesus has purchased for us. That's what this is talking about. Here's what Paul tells us. And Watchman Nee wrote a book about this, and so it's in really good company that I would talk this way. Paul says, you are seated with him in heavenly places. He said that in Ephesians. The first three chapters of this book are telling us what we have received from Jesus and that we are ultimately seated with him in heavenly places. It's because we're seated with him that he then tells us in Ephesians 4 to walk in a manner worthy of the call to which you've been called. So we're seated with him. And we're walking with him in a manner worthy to which we've been called. And because we are seated with him, and because we are walking with him, 
when it comes time to face the enemy, we will stand with him. Sit, walk, stand. Those are the postures that God has called us into. We're seated with him. Our position is finalized. It is, it is done. We are walking with him and it is, it, is, it is being revealed that we are walking in a manner worthy to what we've been called. And now we can stand against the enemy because we're seated and we're walking and now we stand. Finally, remember this thing. And this is so important. We are not waging war against people who oppose us. Not against flesh and blood, Stephanie said. Or as Watchman Nee said, not against a worldly system of hostile kings and rulers, sinners, and evil men. Those are not our enemies. Now, I understand how that can be gray area for some of us. Because we see very evil things happening. And very evil men and women doing them. And it is easy to lump them into the enemy category. But our war is not against flesh and blood. It is against authorities and rulers and cosmic powers over this present darkness. They are ensnared and in bondage and blind to the truth. But so were we. And so we should be careful not to see people as our enemies. I don't care how evil they are. The enemy that we are facing is the evil one, the accuser of the brethren. Paul said to the Corinthian church in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10.3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We're not called to destroy people. We're called to destroy our own opinions and anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It's ideology that, en that encroaches upon us. By the way, I can't destroy someone else in order to destroy the opinion they may have. So that may mean that the opinions that he's talking about are my own. They're the ones that I have governance over. And when I see an opinion or a lofty thing exalting itself and making it out to be God, it's my job to destroy it. The war is in here. It's not so much with people or things out there. We are, to, we are to not punish the disobedience of other people. We're to punish our own disobedience. How? By obeying. By living the way he called us to live. So Paul exhorts the Ephesians, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And this is a really critical thing because... If we rely upon our own little personal strengths, then they will become liabilities to us. If we have strengths in certain ways, we know what this is. I studied that when I was in Bible school. Oh, I know what that is. The sermon was about that. I've got that figured out. When we start thinking we're strong in ourselves, then that means we're not relying upon his strength in the power of his might. And trust me, <laughs> 
His is a whole lot better than ours. We don't want to rely upon our own strength. We don't rely upon our own might. We want to rely upon his might and his strength. And we're to stand firm by God's strength in the midst of spiritual battle, taking up the whole armor of God. And so here they are. Get out your little felt pad Jesus. Start putting all the war, you know, the... the the weapons upon him. You know what I'm talking about? The little felt Jesus that you had in Sunday school? Did we ever do that here, Marty? It was Marty. Yeah, we did. Okay. So, you know, the little, and you take the little pieces off and then you add to them, you know. So this is, yeah. I, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. So, flannel graph. Thank you. Fl- not felt. Flannel graph. Yes. Thank you. All right. So here we go. Get your little Roman centurion here. Now we're going to put his armor on. First, take up the belt of truth. Now let me just say this. Belts are really important. No one wants to go into war with their pants falling down. I mean, we get a lot of Christians with pants way too far down. It's time to pull up the pants and cinch up the belt. A belt goes around your core. It holds, uh, according to what I've studied, not that I know about these things, but it holds all the other armor into place. And it holds the other weaponry that you might be carrying. It may, you can uh, put your sword into a sheath that's on the belt. You can have other things attached to it. The breastplate and other pieces are connected to this belt. It is the core. It's what protects the center of it. It is a belt of truth. But I want you to remember that this truth that we speak of is not a what, it's a who. Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus is the truth. We're not girding ourselves with a bunch of facts. We're girding ourselves with the person of Jesus Christ. And with him... Protecting your core, he anchors you. He settles you. He's a plumb line. He shows you what is truth and what is error, and he is your truth. Secondly, take at the breastplate of righteousness. I wish I could take a lot more time in all of these, but I, I don't, we don't have time this morning. The breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate protects your vital organs. And, and this analogy is really powerful because... It's the righteousness of Jesus that has been imputed to us, given to us, that protects us. It's his righteousness. It's not our own. You know what our righteousness is likened to? Filthy rags. Disgusting, filthy rags. Not righteous at all. We don't have any righteousness on our own, but he is our righteousness. By the way, you're going to see that each one of these pieces of armor is just another way of saying, put on Jesus Because it's all him. Now, the Roman breastplate was impressive. We've all seen the movies, right? You've seen them. A breastplate was cut. I mean cut, right? The pecs and the abs, very impressive. Right? Am I, is, is this true? You never saw any beer gut breastplates. Right? No. 
they were sleek, man. Those Romans, this is really awesome. Pastor J.D. Greer says that this works out really well for us because it doesn't matter how flabby we are underneath. Our pecs and our abs look good in him. He's, J.D. says, the love handles of our sin become his and the righteousness of his perfect abs become ours. Yes. You know, I was going to wear one of those shirts that make you look like you're cut today. Because trust me, I need some help. I promise you. Um, so his righteousness is what we get to wear. It's no longer our righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. Because I'm pretty flabby. Third, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given of the gospel of peace. Now, we often hear that the sword of the spirit is the only offensive weapon. I dare to differ. Your feet are offensive. (laughs) I like that. I'm not talking about odor right now. I'm talking you can move. You You can be on the offensive because you're moving. And your feet are weapons used to carry you into battle. Paul says that we overcome Satan, not by the smell of our feet, but we overcome him by carrying the gospel with our feet to those that do not know and have not heard. We defeat Satan's work by proclaiming the gospel of peace. There is nothing more damaging to our enemy than to rob from him those that he once controlled. He thinks he's still in charge. He's not. And when we take, by the gospel of Christ, someone out of the kingdom of darkness, and they are ushered and entering into the kingdom of light, he gets mad, and we get glad. So your feet in the gospel of peace are weapons of offense. Fourth, take up the shield of faith, which with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts from the evil one. Now, this is just a way of summarizing everything else that we've been talking about throughout the whole book. Because Satan's weapon has always been, and he's not smart enough to figure out he needs to change, he only has this as his weapon, the power of lies. He lied to them in the garden. He he said to Eve, did God really say He's just, he's, not, he's wanting you not to be like him. And that has always been his technique from, now, from then on. He is still lying today. And they're like fiery darts being flung at us. Because if they land in your thinking, they can burn out of control. They can cause such a scorch to the way you think and the way you see yourself. And we're not supposed to outmaneuver these darts like some sort of ninja moves, you know, like, how's that? My grandsons are not here to be impressed. We're not supposed to ninja move our way out of this. No, just pick up the shield. Just pick it up. Now, I'm not talking about one of those little saucer-sized shields like you see in the movies. I'm talking about the door-sized shield. Covers you head to toe. Satan hurls all sorts of damaging thoughts at you like fiery darts, like he's just flinging them at you. He says things like, you're so pathetic. You're such a loser. I, 
I don't know why God even loves you. He probably doesn't love you. You're never going to change. You ruin everything. You're, you're never going to be anything, amount to anything. He says things like, you'll always be a drunk. You'll always be addicted to porn. You'll always be sick. You'll always be in debt. You'll always fail. You'll always be a disappointment. Fiery darts. And if they stick in you, they will burn you to the ground. That's what he does. But what we understand is that he is the accuser of the brethren. He doesn't speak truth. He speaks lies. He always has. And his tactics haven't changed since the garden. Planting lies in our head, fiery darts. But we've been given this shield. It's called faith. And it not only deflects these darts, it actually lets it stick in and snuff it out. Extinguish the very lies that Satan throws at you. Our faith then recites back to the enemy and to all those that might be around, that's not true. And so when he throws his darts, we recite the word, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I am blessed in my coming in and my going out. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God has plans to prosper me, to give me a future and a hope. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God shall supply all my needs. According to his riches and glory, he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will always be with me. And even if Satan has been given permission to sift me, Jesus is praying for me just like he did Peter, that my faith shall not fail. We extinguish the fiery darts with our faith in Jesus. We speak the truth to a lie and it's Power is rendered powerless. Something else about shields, and you know this if you watched Gladiator, one of my favorite movies, or 300, right? These full-size shields are designed to lock with the shield of the brother next to you. And so they can actually be like a wedge of shields coming in, protecting. And when you can't do it on your own, it's because you're not supposed to. That's why God puts you in a body, the body of Christ. Pick up your shield and lock arms with the brother and sister on your left and on your right. Gather as your small groups. Share these things. Speak the truth. And as you end your meeting, everybody yells, Spartans. Let's be the army of God as his children and help each other. Finally, excuse me, not finally, fifth one, helmet of salvation. I don't have time, but this is, this is really just saying the same thing. He is our salvation. He is all these things for us, and he is our salvation. But the head is where you think. Well, some of us do. Some of us don't think so well. But that's where the thoughts kind of get planted. And so we need his salvation to protect the way we think. Because the way you think is going to determine what you do and what you believe. 
Paul is telling us to let the truth of our salvation and God's grace in our lives permeate our minds. Finally, the sixth is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When Satan tempted Jesus while he was fasting 40 days, Jesus didn't argue with him. You can go back and read the story. All right, He didn't negotiate with the enemy. He just spoke the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. He knew Scripture. Jesus is scripture. He is the word of God. And now that should give us a clue on how we defeat the enemy. We shouldn't negotiate with him, argue with him, give him the time of day. Just speak God's word. Speak God's word. That'll shut him up. It'll close his his mouth. It'll close the door to his temptation. Your ability to overcome Satan is directly proportionate with your knowledge of God's word. God's word. Read it. Learn it. Meditate upon it. Memorize it. Have it open. When's the last time you spent any time in there? How are you going to defeat the enemy with the sword of the spirit if you haven't even opened the word? Let it work for you. It did for Jesus. It will for us. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Finally, the seventh one is not always considered one of the weapons, but it is. Pray at all times in the spirit. Many people don't see it as the one of the six. But it's the main one. It is the one by which all the others take power and root in your life. Notice that prayer is not something we do only in preparation for battle. Prayer is something we do as battle. The book of James tells us the same thing, that the most effective thing that we can do is to pray that fervent prayers of righteous people change things. You have things that need to be changed? Do you have situations that you'd like to see differently? Do you need to see breakthrough? Do you need to see things unstuck in respect to how you live your life or how you do your finances or how you're relating to people? Then pray the fervent prayer of a righteous man, one who is righteous in God, his imputed righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, avails much. Prayer is where we put everything into practice. And it's where we believe the power of the gospel. And it is not only the thing that we do at first. It's the thing we do most. So there you have it. The Christian life is a battlefield, not a playground. Some of us need to get off the teetotter and get off the slide And pick up the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith and go into battle. While others of us have been uh, swiping and flailing at all sorts of things that are not the devil. And we're focusing on him a whole lot more than we're focusing on Jesus. Let's go the better way that Jesus provided for us. Let's not be those that are trying to find demons around every hill. But let's also be those that are very mindful that we have an enemy. He's wanting to take out as many of us as he can. We're at war. The war's already been won, praise Jesus. 
We're just running the cleanup operation. God is on our side, and what he has accomplished is what makes us victorious. More than conquerors, through Jesus Christ who loved us, we are overcomers. Take up your armor, church. Appropriate and apply his truth and his righteousness and his salvation and his peace and his faith and his word. And yes, pray in the spirit at all times. And we'll see the expansion of God's ever-increasing kingdom right here, right now, today, this week, in your children, in this community, in our neighborhoods, in this city. May God make it so. Amen. This is, excuse me, this is an excerpt from Romans um, 7 and 8. I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it. I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. Something has gone wrong deep inside of me, and it gets the better of me every time. Is there no one who can do anything for me? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and did. He has already acted to set things right in this life. A new power is in operation. What the holy law code required, we could not deliver. And instead of redoubling our efforts, we must embrace what the Spirit is doing. God's Spirit in us confirms who he is and who we really are. God's Spirit of life, the advocate and helper, is strong, and he wants us strong So take all of the well-made weapons Jesus has set out for us and put them to use. So you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way, Mm -hmm. including that stuff in here. That's right. This is not a weekend war. This is for keeps, life and death. Yours. Your life and death. It is a fight to the finish. So you need to be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued, truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation, and learn how to apply them. That's my prayer for us this morning. You will need these throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon, and prayer is essential. And this is my favorite part. Pray hard and long. Pray at all times. In the spirit, keeping alert with purpose and perseverance. That's my other prayer for us. (laughs) Interceding on behalf of all of God's people. Keep your eyes open And keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have provided everything that we need for the war Mm -hmm. and for the victory. And we can learn to apply all of the weapons at our disposal. 
we can learn to get the full benefit of Jesus being resurrected in us and the Spirit, the Helper, teaching us how to pray and how to apply in your, in your warfare, Lord. How do we participate? You've given us a spirit of encouragement that none should get weak and fall by the wayside or give up on their fight. Father, keep us alert and persevering in purpose that we could extend the kingdom of God in our own hearts and lives and then see that happen in the lives of others. Yes, Lord. We know this is your will, Father, and that without your work in us, we cannot do it. But with your work in us, it is possible. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, help us to fully appropriate all that you've purchased for us. Yes, Lord. Your truth, your righteousness, your peace that leads us to want to have others join us in the gospel, your salvation faith your word and praying in the spirit at all times help us to be those Lord that follow you into this life living with full confidence that you have done all things and done them well and that we because we are yours your servants your children your friends that we are also the army of God Doing battle, not against flesh and blood, not against the people that we don't like or who argue with us, but rather against the rulers and powers, the cosmic forces over this present darkness. We tear down everything, every spiritual stronghold that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we do that for this week, for these young people, in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, that that which has blinded the eye, that has hardened the heart, that has plogged up the ear, that has kept neutralized their action towards faith, would be broken in the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray that the Spirit of God would set people free, that the next generation would be raised up in this place and these churches of faith that are coming together and that those young people would be the leaders, not of tomorrow, but of today. Let them lead us all into the power of God and into the freedom that he promises. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a tangible result of fruitfulness in these things that we've given ourselves to. I pray for every young person, every staff person. I pray for us as a church community, Lord. It's not just about the youth. It's about all of us that are serving you. May we walk into the purposes of God fully armed with what you provided for us people of faith, praying at all times. In Jesus' name, amen.